0: Have you ever felt too cool to unironically enjoy something from your childhood? Like, don't lie, because like I've definitely felt that way. I've definitely been too cool for school before, you know? I I want people to think that I only listen to certain bands, you know, super brutal stuff. You know, typically on this channel, I talk about post-hardcore bands, some metalcore bands, Eventually, I'm going to start pulling some of the heavier stuff like the death metal and extreme metal stuff in there because that's kind of the, the stuff that I'm currently into. And by currently, I mean probably for the past 15 to 24 years. But the thing that I think is interesting is how I actually got to that point, how somebody gets into heavier bands and more aggressive music. Like, what is that early spark within you? that is gonna go on to define what you're into when you're older. Because for years I've been looking for music that fits this kind of carefully crafted niche that appeals only to me. And anything that doesn't fit within those parameters kind of falls a little bit flat for me. I was on that musical journey for so long though that I kind of started losing sight of where I actually started. And I kind of forgot what those original sounds were that led me on that musical journey to start with. And I think I actually stopped caring about what people would see or hear me listening to when I was about 25. Like that seems like a pretty good year for it. And it was during that time that I finally started listening to Linkin Park again, because in a lot of ways, this album hybrid theory really was a blueprint for specific elements that I would look for when I was checking out new bands. And whether it's something that's in my daily rotation these days or not, the fact remains that without Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park, I probably wouldn't be as in love with music as I am today. And I think a lot of you guys watching probably feel the same way. So join me as I dig into this album and I share my thoughts and my memories with it. My name is Daniel Terry, and this is DFT's Dungeon Season 4. And if you're new here and you enjoy this video or the audio podcast, if you like listening to that on Spotify or Apple or wherever, please consider giving it a like and please share your thoughts on hybrid theory in the comments below. The first time I ever heard Lincoln Park was on the radio and I remember it pretty clearly. Actually, I was swinging in my childhood swing set in my backyard, but I wasn't a little kid either. I I was, (laughs) I was middle school age. But I didn't really have a lot of friends back then because even back then, I was just kind of weird and I hadn't really figured out how to be social or appealing to other people in my peer group. And I was obsessed with listening to music on the radio. After school, every day, I would go home and I would swing on that swing set. And I would listen to this little solar-powered radio with headphones and just kind of drift off into my own little world. And it might sound lonely and pathetic because... I mean, it was, but that didn't really bother me because as I've described in other episodes, I was doing hardcore research and that research was listening to as many cool and popular bands and songs as I could on my local alternative rock radio station. I was researching these things so that I would have something that I could talk about with other kids at school. And I actually ended up learning a lot by doing that. So, anyway, on one of those days, I was suffering through a super long commercial break in hopes that, you know, they would play my favorite band that I was into that week. And that band was Incubus. I think Pardon Me was my favorite song, or it might have been Stellar. But at first, I was actually kind of disappointed because whenever they came back from break, they didn't play Incubus. The radio DJ jump back on, and uh, I'll try to do my best uh, radio DJ voice here. I've got a new one for you guys today. Let me tell you, this thing is going to be huge. This song is called One Step Closer by a brand new band called Lincoln Park. And once One Step Closer started playing, I got about a full minute into the song before I had to throw down my foot right into the dirt to stop that swing. I ran up my back porch steps, pushed past my parents, and ran into my bedroom because I was on a mission. I had to get there before the song ended so that I could record some of it. So I smacked the power button on my bedroom stereo. The station was already tuned in and there was already a blank tape in the cassette deck. And I slammed down that record button fast enough to get the first shut up from One Step Closer on the tape. And, of course, I got, like, the rest of the song, which was about maybe 45 seconds. That's what my mixtapes were like back then. It was just, like, I had to know if I liked a song before I decided to record it. If I wasn't, like, right there with my finger next to the button, odds are I wasn't going to get much of the song. But this song one of the most popular songs ever recorded absolutely rewrote my musical DNA forever. The way the opening riff of the song plays out in this almost like circular and inviting way combined with Chester's restrained singing, there was just something magical about that. And I just couldn't put my finger on what it was. Like his voice was very smooth and very clean, but it was also brimming with anger that was barely on the edge like it was just about to boil over but eventually it does boil over when that first chorus kicks in his vocal delivery goes up like three notches in the anger department it was like shifting into a higher gear on the highway but he still holds his melodic cadence but it's then followed by even more unrestrained screaming going on behind the chorus and all of that combined just hooked my brain So when I got to the one minute and 43 second mark and the shut ups kick in with the turntables flying and Chester bellowing unrestrained fire into my ears, I was beyond exhilarated. I sat up for the rest of the night in my room with the stereo on low volume, just waiting for them to play that song again so that I could record the full thing. Because at that time, that was the only way I could get a quality recording of a song that I liked. And once I had that full song, I played it over and over again. It was that intangible thing that I was looking for that I didn't know I was looking for. Obviously, as a grown man, it's easy for me to point out that One Step Closer was designed to leave that kind of impression on the mind of a young teenage boy. I won't go as far as to say that it was engineered in a lab, but it definitely had the desired effect 100%. And it's surprising to me that I even liked it at all. It's not like Linkin Park was doing something that had never been done before. I'd heard new metal bands before they were all over the radio that year. And I I have to be honest, I'll never be able to escape the fact that my musical journey started with new metal. And at this stage of my life, I'm proud to say that it did. It's just interesting how that one song affected me so much. The first time I heard Slipknot, I didn't like all the screaming. I tolerated it when Incubus did it a little bit, and I definitely didn't like hearing Fred Durst scream his lungs out on Faith. Corn absolutely terrified me the first time I heard them. Like, I just didn't like those bands. And it didn't help that a lot of the kids who bullied me in school were into those bands. So for the most part, I avoided bands that used screaming vocals because I didn't see the value in it, and it didn't really connect with me. And that's largely because that music wasn't necessarily aimed at me. I listened to the local alternative rock station in my town. So like I was more into bands like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. The station played those bands constantly because even though they wouldn't want to admit it, they were primarily a 90s station. And at the time I didn't realize that a lot of those bands were like well past their expiration dates. But later on in the day, they would play the newer bands. Keyword new, new metal bands, Limp Bizkit, Corn, Slipknot, Mudvayne. But the thing is, is that bands like Slipknot and Mudvayne appealed to an older audience. They're appealing to older teenagers. And I just really wasn't quite there yet. But the way Linkin Park introduced me to the concept of screaming and heavy music was like that magical Goldilocks porridge that was just right. I wanted to hear more. But it would be a little while before I'd get to because one night my mom came in while I was listening to One Step Closer out loud, which was a big mistake. I had headphones. I should have known better. And of course, she walks right in in the middle of Chester screaming shut up over and over and over again and I had my radio privileges taken away for a few weeks because my parents had a very religiously motivated, not in my house, kind of attitude at that time. But luckily, just a few months later, I had saved up enough allowance money to start buying stuff on my own and finding better ways to hide it. I'd already gotten Make Yourself by Incubus, which I talked about in my Incubus episode in season one, but I never forgot about Linkin Park. And eventually I got myself a full-fledged copy of Hybrid Theory. I had some friends drive me to Target and I bought it and I kept it on the down low, which seemed silly because like we all know now that Hybrid Theory is a totally clean album as in no profanity on the whole thing. But at the time... I had no idea what to expect. There was no parental advisory sticker on it, but there was also not a parental advisory sticker on Make Yourself by Incubus either, and he screams the fuck word tons of times on the title track. So there was still a huge possibility that this CD would end up going into the trash if my folks were to find it. Like I had done before and would do multiple times after during my teenage years. I got home, I flopped onto my waterbed, and I hit the play button on Hybrid Theory, and everything would change after that. I'll get into all the things that changed a little bit later in the video, but let's really dig into each song on hybrid theory which is likely the reason that you guys are here watching this and if you guys are still here watching this after that super long intro thank you so much for sticking with me so hybrid theory starts off with a song called paper cut and i remember the anticipation building up when i first hit the play button on this song The song spends about 20 seconds setting the mood before the vocals kick in, and I was kind of taken aback at first because it started off with rapping, which might seem like a duh moment for you guys, but you have to understand that the only song that I had heard by Linkin Park at that point was One Step Closer which didn't feature any rapping. So I had no clue going into this record that there were actually two vocalists to play here with two vastly different styles. It definitely wasn't a bad surprise though, as I was smiling ear to ear by the halfway point of the song. Papercut is a high energy song with fast rapping and Chester Bennington's signature gruff choruses hitting in just the right way. A perfect opening song that gives you a small taste of everything that you're going to experience going forward. And what's brilliant about this first impression is that not only does it present for the first time two different vocalists who have two different approaches, but the song is literally about having these night and day personalities that are at war within the same person. The opening words are, why does it feel like night today? Which is just an immediate contrast right at the top of the song. The song goes on to explain that we all have a voice inside of our heads that is always judging us, always criticizing us pointing out our flaws and bringing us to a low place, despite whatever we may have accomplished that day. Which simultaneously illustrates the relatability that Linkin Park is striving for with their audience and the differing approaches and personalities of the two singers. Chester embodies the vulnerable, emotional side of our personalities. The part of us that feels everything, that spontaneously reacts to situations sometimes in a less than comfortable or flattering manner. His delivery through this album and the next album, Meteora, walked this fine line between pure emotional outburst and just barely being able to keep it together. And by contrast, Mike Shinoda's rapping embodies the truth of every situation, the harsher and logical reality of what is actually going on behind these emotions. Mike's presence on the songs grounds the listener and sets the scene while Chester illustrates how we were supposed to feel about the situations and the problems presented in these songs. Lincoln Park somehow manages to convey to the listener everything that they are about in just three minutes and four seconds in paper cut. One step closer was something of a thesis statement to how I felt as a very young teenager. I mean, it was supposed to be that. That's, that's why it was the first single that was released. And it's a song about being totally fed up. And while the song is non-specific as to the exact situation that is causing Chester to be in this state of almost breaking, but for me personally, this song detailed how I felt being hassled by other kids at school when I was younger, and more specifically, the adults in my life that continue to hassle me to this day about things. From what I remember of that age, it felt just like sitting quietly and not trying to interact with other people was like never a good idea. If I ever acted in a way that was different than everyone else, it was like immediately honed in on. And it made me a target for bullying and hassling. And when you go through that every single day, eventually you're going to reach that breaking point. So growing up in that kind of situation, words like I need a little room to breathe and I find the answers aren't so clear, wish I could find a way to disappear, really spoke to me and didn't make me feel so alone. And that's not even mentioning how cathartic the emotional outburst is at the apex of this song. It's simple, yeah, and it's kind of meat headed, but it perfectly embodied how I felt as a not very tough teenager. The thing that I've always hated about heavy music is how overly macho it can be because the concept of a shut up song isn't like a new one, but it was hard to relate to other heavy bands that always took it a little bit too far. Like I just wanted to be left alone. So it's not shut up or I'm going to kill you or shut up or I'm going to curb stomp you into the ground. It's just an ambiguous shut up and leave me alone. It allowed me to kind of feed off of and relate to the emotion at hand without having to resort to empty threats of violence that I couldn't back up anyway. It was just a real expression of emotion and I appreciated that, and it's still something that I look for when I'm checking out new bands and albums. With You starts off atmospherically, and then it transitions to probably the heaviest guitar riff that this album has to offer. And despite the heavy opening, this song has a really chill vibe throughout that I can really appreciate. It's the perfect come down after One Step Closer's more obvious emotional outburst, but I appreciate the heaviness at the start regardless. And it actually does kind of feel like the next morning, like that moment where you aren't really awake and you're just stumbling around trying to get ready for the day. Maybe that's not relatable to everybody. I don't know what everybody else's morning ritual is, but mine involves a lot of stumbling and confusion, which is funny because I don't even drink anymore. But the opening lyrics really drive the vibe home with Mike saying, I woke up in a dream today to the cold of the static and put my cold feet on the floor. I forgot all about yesterday, remembering I'm pretending to be who I'm not anymore. And it explores kind of this probably familiar situation where you make a stupid choice. You do something that compromises a good relationship with someone, and now you can't go back to the way that it was before, which is a topic that I'll get a little bit more into on another song. And this is where the album really doubles down on this whole split personality theme because it was a stupid choice that was made due to somebody putting on a front. Somebody that ends up being a hypocrite because they are insecure in themselves. And they're so insecure in themselves that they feel the need to put on a mask in order to fit in with everybody else, which is kind of sad because most of the people that we put that mask on for are also wearing their own masks and they're hiding their true selves from us also. And as a teenager, I dealt with this daily and there was so much trial and error that went with it. I lost some friends along the way as a result of that kind of masking. Points of authority comes in super high energy and aggressive. For the longest time, this was my favorite song on this album, despite my disliking of super macho songs and heavy music. This song was angry, but felt so intelligent to me at the time. Mike starts this song saying, forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame and puts your name to shame. Cover up your face, you can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. It's funny because I never noticed before I started writing this episode that this album is obsessed with calling out masking, hidden feelings, and dual personality conflicts. Like, so far, three out of the four songs we've covered here have been about those topics. But at the time I was first hearing it, it always felt so empowering to hear it because it was the way that I wanted to feel. But despite what I may have been going through at the time, the fact remains that there were people in my life, and probably in yours too, that you specifically had in mind when you're listening to this song. And that isn't regulated to just high school or teenage angst either. I generally try to believe that most people have at least decent intentions when they offer their friendship. That most people like want to have a genuine connection with other people, but it only takes one or two bad people in your life to completely crush that benefit of the doubt. I like how the song points out that people are manipulative and try to push other people down because they themselves are hurting too. And the only way they can express themselves is by sharing that hurt with everybody that they come into contact with up next is crawling which strangely starts off with the sound of like a sink draining which puzzled me for a long time because i finally saw the music video and it like actually starts with a a sink filling up and then draining at the end so i was like oh wow okay cool so I, i wasn't just imagining that you're very perceptive this song is so popular and iconic i don't think i need to like describe how it sounds to you but it's a song about deep insecurity The opening lyrics dive right back into the insecurity under the surface. This song really affected me when I was younger, which like, we're five songs into this now, and I'm probably gonna say that about all of the songs, and I'm really sorry if it's probably like getting old or it's a trope, but from the moment I became self-aware, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. It was like I was always aware of how I was appearing to other people and kind of cringing at everything that I do or say. Sometimes in the moment and then sometimes later on and I'm not sure which is worse. And it's a feeling that's never really gone away either. For example when I started filming this episode I spent at least 35 minutes setting up my camera and lighting in such a specific way because I was so worried about my appearance or what I, or that i would look stupid talking about these things and getting all up in my feelings about a record that is so old and it's pathetic that i still care about it as much as i do or something like that you know what i mean like it's it's one of those things where yeah i'm gonna get into this i'm gonna heavily edit it and i'm gonna try to make it as good as i can But even when I'm happy with it or if I'm happy with it, it's only going to take a couple of days, a couple of weeks after it comes out, and I'm still going to be worried about it. Like it's never going to go away. What that feeling does to you is it makes you dissatisfied with everything that you do, no matter how good of a job you do and it's just something that you're gonna have to live with. And the point of this isn't for you to feel sorry for me because in comparison to what some people struggle with, my issues seem pretty mild overall, which is the reason I've somewhat learned to manage it over the years. And while this song might just seem like something that was manufactured to relate to as many young adults as possible in the year 2000, I think that it's not just dealing with like general insecurity that everyone feels. But it's coming from a perspective of a person who is crippled daily by that insecurity. That it's something that can only be managed and not truly cured. And with the death of Chester Bennington in 2017, which I'm not really going to get very deep into in this episode, this song really stands out to me as a truly honest and realistic representation of what that constant nagging voice really feels like. And that voice has been on the album all along. The voice that is described in this song and in Papercut never truly goes away and can at times be so overwhelming that it's nearly impossible to overcome. Runaway comes in next and it picks up the pace of the album with this really smooth intro. And can I just point out how clean and smooth this record sounds? Because like in the past I would like criticize rock and metal albums for sounding too clean. You know, I was kinda of one of those like, bro, you gotta have some grit in there. It makes the music sound like really weak or something. You know, that, that, that type of guy. But on hybrid theory, the use of turntables and samples and keyboards is the entire point. And there's plenty of nuance and texture to everything here. And even 24 years later, I still think that this album is very sonically pleasing. At first, Runaway sounds like your standard Linkin Park song with a mix of singing and rapping as well as a pretty structured verse, chorus, verse format. But things start to get interesting at the one minute and 55 second mark as the music drops out and chester starts whispering i'm gonna run away and never say goodbye right and the song gets much heavier the same way it did in one step closer with chester all out screaming over heavy riffs in a rhythmic and repetitive fashion and why does that matter dan well. It matters because back in 2000 I had never really heard anything like that before. Now I'm not going to be as bold to say that this is some kind of proto-metalcore or hardcore style breakdown. I know that it isn't quite that but I will say that if I'd not heard this... back in 2000, I would have never gained an appreciation for stuff like this years later. Lyrically, Runaway is a bit more straightforward. It's about being overly controlled by authority figures, about feeling suffocated by the rules and regulations that the adult, you know, which I'm totally not one of, would enforce to a ridiculous degree. I grew up in church, so I don't think I really have to get too deep into why this song was relatable to me at that time. Plus I've been talking for like really long time at this point. (laughs) The next song is called By Myself, and it starts off noisy. Noisier than any Linkin Park song has been before. The verses kind of smooth things out, but they are constantly interrupted by these loud, screamy outbursts by Chester. It's one of the most interesting songs on hybrid theory from a structural standpoint. It's kind of weird to admit this now, but I actually used to skip this song when I was younger because it was like too loud for me. (laughs) in comparison to other songs but much like i talked about on runaway this song would eventually blossom into an appreciation for another kind of music that i would have never gotten into otherwise and that genre is mathcore and no that's not a joke i hate to use another direct comparison like this because i know a lot of you guys are probably thinking that i'm reaching here but it's really not that big of a stretch to say that i needed to appreciate this in order to even know how to contextualize this. And you can probably guess what the lyrics are about. It's another song about self doubt and caving to the pressure of having to maintain an outward image while dealing with insane levels of anxiety and insecurity. It's a song about being afraid to fail, but too scared to move, which becomes failure by default. It's the heaviest song on the album. But speaking of heavy, In the End is next. And while In the End is not heavy in the riffs or screams department, it's heavy in the sense that it is by far the most popular single off of Hybrid Theory. It's heavy due to the weight of its own success. I actually had to research that because I was convinced that One Step Closer and Crawling were more popular. And of course, by research, it means I just pulled the album up on Spotify and saw that In The End was sitting at 1.8 billion streams. But why is it such a popular song? Because unlike the other songs on hybrid theory that specifically deal with topics like insecurity, masking, depression, and anxiety, In The End is about something that we have all experienced before in life, and that's failure, and the hopelessness that comes with that failure. Even if you don't suffer from any mental or emotional hangups, you have failed before. And not just once a long time ago. In order to succeed at anything in life, we have to play that frustrating game of trial and error. And the reality is, is that things don't work out more often than they do work out. Linkin Park did something with In The End that every artist wants to achieve and most of them don't. And that's write a song that is universally relatable to everybody on the planet. Which is why I don't have to spend a lot of time on In The End because you've heard it, you felt it, and you get it. Up next is another one of my favorites and that is A Place For My Head. As much as I love and relate to the songs about emotional struggle, I find myself more drawn to songs like A Place For My Head. And that's for two reasons. The first reason is that A Place for My Head is fast and aggressive and accusatory. It also has an amazing breakdown right in the middle where Chester goes all out for seemingly the last time on Hybrid Theory. If I was the kind of person who worked out, this would probably be part of my daily workout playlist. And the second reason is that when I was a kid listening to this album, these angry songs were what hooked me initially because they gave a voice to so many things that I was angry about. A Place for My Head is thematically similar to Points of Authority and describes bad actors in your life that will take advantage of you and exploit your best qualities for their own gain. Which, despite having this song in my life for so long, it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized just how many people I grew up with that were exactly like this. The song ends abruptly and then goes right into the next song, Forgotten. And I love when bands do this because CDs were still kind of a new thing for me at the time and so hearing two songs smashed together like this was super cool because a lot of the CDs I'd had before this had like two or three second gaps between each song. And somebody who's smarter than me probably knows what those gaps are all about and how they work but for me at the time it was just really cool how one track just blended straight into the next track. Forgotten is upbeat and smooth as hell. The verses are so smooth that they're like vanilla ice cream for my ears. Forgotten is thematically similar to With You and talks about an interaction or memory that is forever tainted now and things can't ever be the same again. I like the imagery of the memory being like a crumbled up piece of paper that can never be restored to its original state. It's good stuff, and it's a little more artful than some of the other lyrics on the album. And up next is Cure for the Itch, which is an instrumental track that is created completely by the band's DJ, Mr. Han, and is composed entirely from record scratches, beats, and samples. It's really cool and it was really the first time in my life that I had seriously listened to something like that and enjoyed it. The second half of the track has this really like epic movie soundtrack vibe to it that to this day still makes me feel overconfident when I'm listening to it. It just reinforces my thought that the reason that I love this kind of music is because at times it can enhance my moods and make me feel good even on a bad day. Ending the album off is a song called Pushing Me Away. And it's a slower kind of song, more in the vein of crawling or in the end. And it has a really catchy power chorus that holds it together. And I've always considered this song kind of a rough draft of Numb, which is the album closer on Linkin Park's second album, Meteora. But I don't really have a solid reason for feeling that way because Pushing Me Away is a fantastic album closer. It thematically fits the rest of hybrid theory and kind of brings it all together as Chester sings about ending a toxic relationship in his life. And it provides a kind of clarity to the rest of what he's been talking about this whole time. It's really one of the only semi-positive resolutions on this entire record. Because even though it's chronicling a painful life transition, the implication here is that it's ultimately better for both parties this way. It's bittersweet, sure, but it leaves just that small glimmer of hope right there at the end. And that's hybrid theory. I think it's impossible to quantify how impactful of a record this was on a global scale. I mean, I had to count the digits when I was looking at how many streams in the end had on Spotify. I can't really even fathom what 1.8 billion streams of a song physically looks like. It's mind-blowingly massive. But why? I have a lot of really good CDs in my collection. So what is so special about Hybrid Theory to me that I'd still wanna talk about it 24 years after hearing it? I'll be honest, I don't think it's the strength of the album itself. Sure, Hybrid Theory is a very strong album. I mean, the sequencing is basically perfect. The sound quality is basically perfect. A lot of people spend a lot of time crafting this album To hit listeners in a very specific way but it's hardly unique in that regard there are a lot of perfect albums out there it's not so much about how good it is but more about what doors it opened up for listeners the album had to basically be perfect so that it could be as accessible to as many people as humanly possible and this had the effect of introducing more people to harder edged music Hard rock and metal bands had been utilizing screaming vocals for well over a decade before Linkin Park was even a thing. It wasn't remotely unique to hear a new metal band using screaming vocals in 2000, nor was it unique that a band combined rap and rock. Even in 2000, that was kind of old hat. But bands that were concerned predominantly with heaviness and aggression, they focused on those elements to such a degree that it was off-putting to the casual listener. Bands like Rage Against the Machine, Korn, and Limp Bizkit were too controversial. A lot of the more extreme rap and metal and rock albums had parental advisory stickers on them literally to deter kids from buying them. And while this didn't work as planned and plenty of kids obtained those albums anyway, these kids and fans of this music were still a pretty limited section of the overall population. But then you have Linkin Park who comes along with their tasteful use of screaming, rapping, record scratching, heavy riffs, and relatable, but basically clean lyrics. And all of the sudden, some of those off-putting elements like the screaming and rapping were able to fly right under parental radar and gave the band an install base of fans that was much broader than the bands that they borrowed those elements from. And I was one of those fans. I took the bait and the effect that it had on me was profound. Like I discussed in some of the songs on Hybrid Theory, it gave me a base appreciation for certain musical styles and elements that I had simply never heard of or never willingly chose to interact with before that. I used to hate rapping in rock songs, but once I was cool with Linkin Park doing it, then I was cool with checking out bands like P.O.D., Rage Against the Machine, and Papa Roach. But it was Chester's screaming that really opened me up to a whole new world of musical enjoyment. It's crazy to think that at one time, no matter how young I was, that I used to not even like hearing screaming in songs. I didn't get it. But Chester was able to sell me on it because he was screaming and raging about the same things that I felt anger and frustration about. It humanized for me something that I had just considered to be loud and pointless. If I hadn't become a Linkin Park fan in 2000, then I would have never listened to Korn or Slipknot or Mudvayne. And if I had never gotten into those bands, then I would have never transitioned into a hardcore and metalcore fan. And metalcore would eventually lead me to death and black metal and grindcore and everything in between. Linkin Park gave me a profound sampling of elements that I could choose to dig deeper into at my heart's content. And I think that's why Hybrid Theory went further than any other album in its genre. While still being a great record in its own right, it is functionally a Rosetta Stone for understanding harder music. The ultimate gateway band. Without the negative connotations that would normally come with that term, Hybrid Theory tried very hard. And it got very far. And 24 years later, it's not the end. And it will always matter. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. I'll see you again soon.